welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM in the morning, every Saturday at 10 o'clock. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osaski, broadcasting to you today from Ljubljana, Slovenia. First time outside of Vienna in a while. And I'm joined, as always, by my trusty colleague and co-host, David Clement, over there in Toronto. David, how goes it? Oh, it's going. It's pretty depressing to hear that you're already able to travel where I can. I don't even think I'm allowed to leave the province yet. Um, but yeah, yeah how dare you? Don't that, even think about good. it. <laughs> yeah, other- yeah. And there's, I mean, at least for us, things are, are getting a bit better. However, uh, there is a new mask mandate uh, here in mm-hmm. Slovenia that I didn't know about. So I've actually gone into a couple of uh, shops and I've been breaking the law. Way to Ooh. go. Yeah, the mask mandate's about to happen here. Uh, in Toronto and else and in the surrounding areas, so that's uh, that's on the horizon. So lots of discussion about masks. Um, but yeah, well, luckily, uh, luckily people can go back and listen to previous episodes of Consumer Choice Radio because we've yes. uh, talked extensively about masks. We have, yes. We will not get back into the mask debate, to mask or not to mask. But uh, we do have a very exciting guest um, today. Uh, someone who. You and I have both met uh, previously. Very interesting, uh, interesting guest. I'll let you uh, give his background, and then we'll have Jamie play uh, play the interview. Yeah. So we're speaking with Brian O'Shea. He is a private investigator. He comes from the world of military intelligence. Now, private intelligence. Um, basically your 21st century private eye, private investigator, awesome guy, super interesting dude to have on the program. Uh, so we'll have uh, Jamie roll that clip. This is going to be a long one, folks. So buckle in. There's a lot of knowledge here. There's a man who leads a life of danger. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. We are very privileged here at the program to be able to speak with Brian O'Shea. He is the CEO and Senior Investigator at Stryker Pierce. Uh, you can see a lot of uh, the great work that they do over there on their website, which we'll be linking to in all of our materials. If you want to know a little bit more about Brian, he's been in our circles uh, for a number of years. He spent over 20 years in the field of investigations and intelligence, uh, working first for military intelligence for two different special forces groups, and then for two different government agencies. And uh, since his business has launched, I know he's been uh, busy traveling and really showing the world what it means to be a private investigator. So Brian, thank you so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for having me. So tell us, you know, what is that? What is private eye? What is private investigations? I think we all have a bias. You know, we think Dragnet. We think, you know, these kind of old school guys with magnifying glasses and Sherlock. What is the 21st century private investigator? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And uh, let me just sidebar and say, uh, I I don't think even I know what the quintessential PI is. Uh, One time someone tried to insult me on Twitter by putting a picture of a very trim Magnum PI climbing out of a pool in Hawaii. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll take that <laughs> if, that's, if that's how you see me. But um, really, a private investigator really hasn't changed. Uh, it's really trying to figure out what's really going on, despite what someone might tell you, or just trying to find out the answers to questions that you can't get straight answers on. So for instance, my very first job someone was concerned about their um, sister's boyfriend that she was about to marry. And they said, hey, 
I know you do work like this, which at the time I didn't. And I was in, you know, working in intelligence contracts and such. But I figured, okay, well, I mean, how different could it be? And, and amazingly, it's really not that different. I mean, the only difference is your sources. I would say private investigators are, by and large, creating their sources, whereas in government intelligence or, um, you know, any type of contracted intelligence, you're, you're going out and, and using sources that have already been cultivated. So yeah, it's definitely uh, more in the kind of private sector, private people that want to find information out. Um, in terms of the tools, we spoke before the call, you know, you've got a, a pretty nice array of gadgets and tools that you've kind of been using on the job. Uh, what are some of these tools and gadgets? You don't have to tell, tell us all of them. You know, we don't need to know all the secrets, but what, what are some of them that you might use during the course of an investigation uh, on a, someone or a company? Well, let me preface that by saying all tools and gadgets we use um, are done within the local laws of where we're investigating. And no gadgets or tools were hurt during the filming or recording of this, this radio show. So um, we, <laughs> uh, really, it, any array. I mean, that's, that's the fun of this job is you have to be kind of a, a, a tech, not a tech guy so much, but a tech geek, a tinkerer, you know, uh, someone who likes to build things, someone who probably played with a lot of Legos when you were a kid and, and got sick of the instructions and started making your own. So by and large, what, you know, what we're always trying to achieve is we want to hear what they're saying. We want to see who they're meeting with, um, they being uh, the target or the subject of the investigation. And because for any investigation or any type of intelligence analysis, the closer you can get or getting to the primary source is the best because uh, everything else is just hearsay, even in the court of law. And so what we try to do is take a variety of gadgets um, from cameras. Let's talk about cameras. There's a lot of cameras out there. If you go to a, like a, if you search PI equipment, you're going to get the same stuff that you could get for half the price at Best Buy. So what I find is a lot of my equipment starts with something off the shelf and then I have to customize it. Um, to uh, the job. So for example, uh, there's a home security camera, which you know, we, don't in, we don't endorse or not endorse. I just wanna make it clear we don't work for them. They don't, they're not paying me to say this, but there is a camera called Blink cameras that are very cheap. They're about $79, you can buy them at Best Buy. And they use a cellular network or a Wi-Fi network to you put this camera outside your house. You just screw it in, turn it on, go to the app and it's motion activated and it will record the minute it detects motion or sound and it can record for up to a minute. And the challenge there is, well, you need a Wi-Fi network. So if your target is out there isolated from others or they're in a, an area where you can't access the Wi-Fi, what do you do? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is use your Wi-Fi hotspot. Well, that's gonna burn out your phone pretty quickly. Um, the camera needs power as well. So the camera itself takes a lithium battery. But to make a long story short, what we did is we actually took a, a blank camera. We hooked it to a, a lithium charger, hooked the hub to the lithium charger, hooked the Wi-Fi hotspot to the lithium charger. And then we put that bag in uh, that little camouflage bag, waterproof bag, in a bush next to the target's area. And then we put the camera up on a tree. We screwed it right in, in a public area. Then I realized there's this, you know, 
big square piece of plastic that anyone could see. So I went to Michael's uh, crafts and I bought some model glue and some of that little moss that you put on train tracks. And I made a little ghillie suit, a little sniper outfit for this little camera. And then I put it on, it looked like part of the tree. So that, that's a great example. Um, I use a lot of uh, remote control cars. So you can just roll those right up underneath um, a car where someone's having a conversation and record it and just roll it up quickly. Now I recommend that you have a good budget because you, you could lose a lot of remote control cars if they find it or you learn to drive it really well. So, so you could get it out of there, which blows your case, but you know, it makes a good story. So, so the point is there's a lot of different things you could do. Trail cameras are great because you can watch multiple locations at once and they're, they're, they're not bad. Um, you can take a, you know, like there's these $190 camcorders with really good, you know, 1080 resolution that if you hook those, hook those to a lithium charger, you can zoom in on a target, leave that out in a field where no one could see it. And that thing will run for 36 hours. And then you have to go through all the footage. That sounds like, like one part MacGyver, one part Inspector Gadget. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Much better than me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you, you mentioned your first example of uh, concerns about a, a boyfriend or fiance. What about the corporate side of, of investigation? Because obviously corporate espionage happens. There are, just as there are countries that spy on each other, there are big companies that spy on each other and try and get information about technology and IP. Do you, are you involved in that field? What does that look like? Can you frame what that looks like for our listeners? Sure, absolutely. And, and uh, to, you know, actually, you bring up, you know, to make it clear, like, that's the only field I'm really involved in now. Um, you know, you start, I started with these cases, but they led to, hey, my brother has a company, and they're having this weird thing with market share, can you look into it, and it leads you into that. Uh, one of my first jobs out of the intelligence community when I left that was with a private competitive intelligence firm for major, major corporations. Um, so what that looks like is it's very much like kind of like journalism. So these companies are called competitive intelligence companies, and they are legal as long they will get hired, say, by company X. And they'll say, we want to know how company Y is planning on meeting the EPA standards for the next tier of emissions reductions for off-highway equipment, let's just say. And they will give us a series of questions they want answered. Those are called key intelligence topics or kits. From there, we will break it down to key intelligence questions, which support that larger kit. And those are called kicks. We bring that back to the client. If they're happy with the direction we're going, they will contract us. And then normally you get paid by the question or you get paid for the whole project, which is the most typical thing. And then there's a time limit. And from there, you're recruiting. And it brings, it leads right into corporate espionage because I can say I was able to conduct this job without ever lying about what I was doing. Um, I would say I am working for a firm that wants to know what your company's doing um, so they can be competitive. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to pay you um, to talk about the industry, but not the firm. Okay. And, they would turn around and say, okay, yeah, I could do that. That's not a violation. I, I certainly don't want them to. Uh, but what they're doing is 
they're citing examples without saying the company name, but the way the mind works, you cite the most recent example you know because you have the most detail. And then we were very good about using secondary research on the internet to fill in those blanks. So for example, someone might say, well, I can't talk about my company, but the industry standard is to switch to hamsters on wheels to make these things less, uh, emit less um, you know, pollutants into the atmosphere. And I'll say, okay. And so I heard of this one company that did this by sourcing their hamsters from Alaska. And so you just go to the internet, Alaska, do some good Google advanced Boolean searches and you'll find that it's his company or her company. And you just fill in the blanks that way. So it's, it's, it's kind of a layering process of intelligence um, gathering. The process, and you know, I don't want to ramble on too long, but it always begins with this. And I, I, I've actually been doing something um, with a lot of people in Australia um, and, you know, after the fires occurred. I think those fires unearthed many things as fires do. But one of those is a lot of things going on with people in that area, I'm being careful how I say this, in leadership positions that may or may not have been involved in deals. They shouldn't have been. And a lot of people were coming to me, um, largely because my, uh, my wife has a very big following there. Well, they saw who I was and they were asking, hey, what do we do? What can we do? We feel helpless. And these Australian citizens, I said, well, you're not helpless. Here's what you do. Start turning on the vacuum, download everything on the internet, because it will disappear. And I started this hashtag citizen detective where I'd say, just turn on the vacuum, don't analyze it, don't look at it. And this is how I was trained in, in the military, just collect it all. You collect it all, the next step is sort it. Still don't analyze it, just sort it by date time, sort it by source. Eliminate, get rid of something that might say, you know, Australia fires were caused by aliens from Neptune. Um, get rid of that stuff. And then you start analyzing. And then right around the time you start reading what you've collected, if you're doing a citizen investigation for whatever reason, you have to form your questions. You're not going to get it anywhere unless you're guiding, you're being guided by questions you're trying to answer. You can go down a million rabbit holes otherwise. I like the parallel that you make to journalism, um, which is, I know, something we've discussed before. And um, it is no secret, by the way, uh, whom your wife is, Naomi Wolf, because you have a New York Times wedding announcement. So uh, it's pretty public information. Um, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask, because I know you, you've been very critical of some journalistic practices. I, I know that you follow a lot of what's happening specifically in the United States and other countries. You know, are there a lot of tactics that you think are not being used by many journalists? Because everything you, you mentioned to me, it really sounds like my background in investigative journalism. It's what we would expect you know, a lot of our journalists to do, like in the movie Spotlight with the Washington Post and sex abuse um, trials in Massachusetts. But it seems like nowadays, it's a lot of just opinion, commentary, you don't really have this level of investigation, uh, certainly not that we would expect from journalism. It seems like uh, a lot of the weight is, is thrown to people like you instead. Sure, exactly. And, and I'm, I'm not even as good as, as half of the netizens as they, they call them out there. Um, I love, I love the field. I love collecting. I get a little, uh, I got to write it now. So, um, but you make a good point. And I, I've said that so many times um, that intelligence, first of all, intelligence operations, investigations, investigative journalism, they are all literally, at least at a how you conduct them level, the same. 
you're gathering sources, you're trying to answer questions. There is literally no difference except for the sources used and, and the customer. Um, so to your point, uh, what are they not using? Look, I, I don't want to disparage any journalists because I'm not one and I don't think that'd be appropriate, but I don't think it's so much what they're not using. I think it's what they are not allowed to present. And in the larger, um, who the CCP has probably invested in through third parties, it, it's clear as day because there will be like, hey, you know, they stole all this stuff or they did all this bad stuff. And then a bunch of networks are saying, that's horrible, that's terrible. Then one says, yes, there are some questions about what they did, but look how bad Trump is. And I'm not a Trump supporter, I'm not a Democrat or Republican, I am a libertarian. Um, but that's what you, you look for. It's like in the face of, crises that the entire world is shouting about there's always going to be one uh, publication or in this case many who just either won't cover it or they just cover it so neutrally that it, it's clear as day so I, I don't think it's what they're not using but i will say this there's a lot of confirmation bias that i've seen in the media and to be fair that is even difficult in an investigation because I only take clients that have been wronged. I mean, I, or have been bullied. Those are the clients I want. Anyone else who is a bully trying to hire me, they're not, they're not gonna hire me. And we, we have a very good vetting process to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so it's hard not to have that bias because A, they're your client and B, they're victims of bullying and, or, or unfair competition. So once, but once we get past that, we also have a job to do and the way we stay away from confirmation bias is the process of how we collect, how we analyze, and how we set up our key intelligence topics. And that keeps you on, on track every time. I just don't think that's happening a lot. I think people are writing the headline first and then trying to fill it in. And that's my and uh, so uh, you give us some good insights on, on the journalism side of things. Um, what about the law enforcement side of things? Because, I mean, my wife and I are big fans of all sorts of crime dramas. And more often than not, um, you see an instance where private investigators are hired and they do a far more thorough job than law enforcement. And I don't know if that's because of how it's edited or the biases of maybe the, the producers or the tools in which they're allowed to use or not use. Um, what, is, what is your overlap with, with the legal field in that sense? Do you, is, is that common where people come to you and say, hey, the, this, this issue X has run dry with law enforcement and we need additional help. Um, mm -hmm. Can you give us some insight on, on that trend? Yeah, that's exactly when they come to us, you nailed it. Um, the overlap is there is none. Um, by and large, I've, I, I have the deepest respect for uh, good police officers and good detectives, people that do the right thing and follow the law and don't violate people's rights, of course. But it, it is different. And, I, and, and to be fair, and I never understood, like, how could they not investigate this? How could they not figure this out? They don't have the manpower. I mean, I, you know, I, and they also have political pressure. So I've seen people come to me, this one woman came to me and her competitor 
broke into her office. Not only did they steal all of her hard drives, they stole all of her jewelry, all of her valuables. It was easily over, you know, three or $4 million case. Usually that gets the attention of law enforcement, but in the last few years, what I've noticed and what she really told me was, there, they told me they couldn't do anything more that is probably at a pawn shop. I'm like, it's not at a pawn shop. But when I went in, I did call the detective in charge to let him know that I'd been you know, hired and I was considering taking the job and I don't want to get in their way because you can't legally investigate as a private detective if there's an ongoing criminal investigation. That's, that's illegal. And you could really mess up. They might actually be onto something. You don't want to mess that up. But what he did tell me very, he was this really good guy. He said, oh, thank God, because I think this would be an easy case, but we, we've got 50 other cases this week. We've got four people to do them. And that's what, what's happened is the caseload is so huge that they can't put that kind of time into them. They have to triage cases. They have to take the one that causes the most um, danger to the public and, and kind of stack them in that order. So you might be at the bottom of that list if it's just material or property. And th that's what happens a lot. I can't speak for every investigation. I don't know. I mean, there's also, they also have a lot of political press pressure. So you see this a lot with murder cases. Case clearance rates have come up a lot and they're trying to get these, you know, better case clearance rates. Well, case clearance doesn't mean you've solved it. It just means that you've cleared it, you know, not to oversimplify it. It is now not on the board. We've decided we've gone this far. We've, you know, let's move it off the board. That's clearance in, in the most simplest of terms. Um, and so there, there, there's a lot of pressure to show a reduction in crime or to show a certain direction in how crime is being enforced or dealt with. And many, many times, you know, they've told, and this is coming from the police. This is not me, um, you know, it's not my opinion. This is from multiple police officers from Virginia to Seattle to even in some cases, other countries. Well, we have to bring these numbers down by May 1st. So they're just going to clear the case and we're, we're done with it. And that's a big thing too. And that's going to be, that's going to be a big thing you're going to see, especially now, because people are calling for the reduction of police budgets um, or the defunding of police uh, uh, organizations. And so they're going to have less people to investigate crimes. So you're going to see higher case clearance rates because they need to show look, it's working. We reduced it and we're still clearing more cases. Well, case clearance doesn't mean a solved case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that's kind of made me scratch my head in terms of the, the defund the police uh, movement. Because in, on one hand, I can totally understand the inclination to want to reduce the instances in which armed officers engage with citizens, especially over silly, trivial things. I mean, Eric Garner is probably... The, the most clear example of that where he's just selling loose cigarettes and it all, and then eventually turns deadly. But at the same time, you do want, like, if, if something tragic and violent happens to a family member, I want that investigated and I want it investigated as thoroughly as possible so that justice can be served. And it does seem like some of that is getting forgotten in terms of the functions of police and, and what that would require. Um, 
for your average citizen to try and get more information. Obviously, they would lean more on, on individuals like yourself and firms like what you have, but it's always made me scratch my head because that seems to me something that we shouldn't want to defund. I don't know if your take is the same or if you feel the same, but uh, it just it does strike me as, as odd. Um, well, I'll give you my take on that. I think it's a horrible idea to reduce funding for law enforcement. And I just moved out of the South Bronx. So I can speak with a little authority on this. Um, my neighbors and I would say the same thing. Like, no, yeah, no. But different law enforcement, different use of law enforcement. You're right. Mm -hmm. I, there's no need for an armed officer to respond to, um, you know, a guy passing out from heat stroke on the street. But at the same time, there's also been reductions in EMTs and, and first responder budgets. It, it's all connected. And the money, I don't know where the money's going, but I know that most of the, you know, the law-abiding police that I've talked to, they, they don't really have a choice. So like, you know, at, at that officer level or that detective level, you can't decide how you're responding to something. You're told. I mean, keep in mind, these are, you know, by and large paramilitary structures, this chain of command, it's very strict. They can't go keystone cop out there for lack of a better phrase and decide how they're gonna respond to it. They have to follow orders. And I hate that phrase, but it's true. Like they'll get fired, they could get a, in trouble. If they don't follow orders and someone dies, they could go to jail. So they don't really have a choice in how they respond or which cases they respond to. The level of force, of course, is, is a person, that's, that's, you know, that's a judgment call, and as we've seen many times, a bad judgment call. But my thing with that is that when you have a structure uh, that's very solid like that, even the structure I came from, you don't have a choice. Um, you, people would say to me, well, how do I know that the government's not spying on me? It's like, well, because they, they, they can't. I mean, they can't just go to work and say, I'm, I'm having a bad day, I'm gonna go spy on my neighbor Sally with my satellites. It, it, Everything is so controlled and, and uh, it's also compartmentalized. I mean, if I had gone to one of my old jobs and typed in, you know, you know, our aliens among us or who killed JFK, uh, I would have been fired immediately. Like you just can't do that, nor would I even internally have the access to that. It's very- you'd uncover the truth. That's why, Brian, tell us the truth. Order, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yes. Oh uh, yeah, and- um... Uh, we're speaking with Brian O'Shea. Uh, his Twitter account, by the way, a great follow, Brian O'Shea SPI. And uh, Brian, uh, I'm going down your timeline. You seem to not have much love for the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, we've discussed this on the program before, obviously with the pandemic uh, kind of behind us, uh, the World Health Organization now losing the United States as a member because of uh, some Chinese antics. Uh, what's so bad about the Chinese Communist Party and what's the impact on ordinary people in the U.S.? I think most people are probably not attuned yet to this issue or problem. And that's that last thing you just said is just probably one of my big issues. Um, look, my my big issue with the Chinese Communist Party, and it always has been, is that they are a totalitarian re regime that does not believe in individual rights or human rights. And they, their sole goal is to stay in power at any cost. The grand strategy that many scholars will agree with is their goal is to be at the center of power 
for control of the world economic system. And they've pretty much said this. I, I'll leave you some links to a lot of the articles at Congress that you can download now. Uh, so my problem is that's where it starts. I mean, we need three shows to get through it. It's such a big, big topic. Um, I don't like, I don't like when people lie and I don't like when people bully. Okay. And that's why I love having my skill set because in that frustration that we all had, when you're sitting there and you're in quarantine and you feel helpless and the world seems to be spinning off its tracks, we were able to, um, you know, I was able to sit there and I was very mad because I picked up my son and he's wearing a mask and, and, you know, he had to play little league and, you know, and it's just like, okay, this is, this is not right. This is not how things are supposed to be. And then with the Uyghur populations where there's clearly um, concentration camps, where there's clearly the, the worst human rights violations I've ever even heard of occurring from multiple sources, good sources at the UN level, among the scholars, among people on the ground. And they're suppressing it. And look, you do not put a firewall around your whole country on social media, unless you have something to hide. You cannot come to the, um, the world and say, hey, we're not that bad. We take great care of our citizens. Well, then show us. If you want to be part of this community, just show us. If the virus didn't escape from the Wuhan lab, show us. What do you have to hide if you're telling the truth? And it goes back to investigations. The minute someone lies to me and I already have the answer, well, that's just going to make me more curious. There's been so many overt lies from that government that that just put my curiosity spidey meter into high, um, a high rate of function. And I haven't stopped. I started um, with all of the uh, Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology deep digging. Um, and I want to say on, on the internet, that's available to anyone else. Um, and that led me to, you know, this person, and that led me to, um, why is this company uh, involved in the funding of the Chinese Academy of Sciences? For instance, there's a solar panel environmental company who's one of the investors in the fund that funds the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and it is called Corona. So, you know, there's just, you know, one coincidence, I can't find another, I move on. Three coincidences is usually my, my standard. In these cases, almost every lead is 15, 20. And then on our side too, it's not just them that, that gives me an issue. It's the people in the Western world that want to say there's not a problem. Well, if you trace them back, they have vast financial issue, interests in not only China's uh, economy, but also Hong Kong's. And so, of course, they're going to say, oh, no, no, nothing, nothing to see here. Don't, don't put sanctions on that. Don't delist. But that's the problem, too. And it's going to be painful. But no matter who gets in office, they have to come down on them. They have to come down hard. Um, I don't think military action is necessary, but I, I do think a show of military force is definitely necessary because it, you know, you can't mirror image. It's the first thing you learn as a detective or in the intelligence world. You can't think everyone thinks the same way we do because people don't. People have different life experiences. People have different world experiences. And so the minute you start 
buying into the hubris that if we just give them capitalism, if we just give them democracy, then they'll, they'll get in line behind us. They'll see how great it is. It is great. I, I, I love my country. I love our system of government. It's got its quirks, but I love the fact that people could go out and protest. I don't love the fact that people take advantage of those protests and, and, and cause damage to things or people. But I do, like my son asked me, you know, are you mad at the protests? Absolutely not. They are actually strengthening the constitution by exercising that right. And they have a legitimate right. Um, but my thing over there is, and here, people don't realize because there's a curtain over it, they don't have any rights over there. They're not allowed have an opinion they're not allowed to think and it's a stupid system because if you're not allowed to think innovation goes out the window and that's why in my opinion they steal most of their innovation because they haven't allowed their people to flourish and be creative and come up with these great ideas and mm -hmm. over here i really see when people cover that up it's kind of like when when you know money managers and fund managers cover that up and pay to cover that up what I and, and this is not just opinion. I have two and a half terabytes of data that I've downloaded from sites in China that are not you can't find those documents anymore, but I, I save everything. I've got stuff in hard drives that are in safes. That's how seriously I'm taking this because my phone is, you know, almost entirely manufactured in CCP China. Um, 5G coming on should these companies come into that realm if they're not here already like why and they can literally control your phone and it's not science fiction they can and so my my biggest thing with people I just I guess I get mad when people I'm like just do the research we have a saying in you know we do this thing at striker pierce when someone comes on if they ask me a question or uh, one of the other senior people, um, hey, where's Urbana, Ohio? I said, oh, oh, let me send you a link. And I send them a link to let me Google that for you, where, which basically mocks how to use Google, do it yourself. The thing is, just don't be mad. Don't, don't, don't give in to emotions. Research, 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 research. Transparency could solve so many problems. And then have the courage to say, hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. I got that. And what well, I, I was just going to say what's interesting about uh, about the CCP and, and just doing some research on it is that some of this is just on full display right in front of us. You just have to look. Uh, I mean, the one the one pressing example that I can think of, which is a Canadian one, is the the two. They're called the two Michaels who were detained in China on what appears to be bogus espionage charges and. Uh, because Canada arrested the Huawei CFO, uh, who is going to be extradited to the U.S. And one of their ambassadors just basically straight up said, well, we'll give, them, we'll give the Michaels back if you send the Huawei CFO back, which goes to show you that, like, for the whole world to see, they're basically saying this was a revenge kidnapping. It has nothing to do with their national security, and they're willing to... Um, they did it to, for the purpose of trying to make a trade. Um, right. And there are all sorts of examples like that where people are like, well, what about the Uyghurs? Um, you have these concentration camps and then the response will be, 
well, they're not concentration camps because we're not killing them. And it's like, okay, well, what are you doing? It's like, well, we're re-educating them and we're sterilizing them. It's like, wait, sorry, what? Did you just say sterilize? It's like, yes, we are forcing them to uh, take birth control and sterilizing them forcibly when they do not take it so that they can't have any more kids. And it's like, that sounds a lot like ethnic cleansing to me. What is like, it's, it's, so it's, it's all there for us to see. I think the conversation is growing, um, which is important. Uh, do you see this being, I mean, I personally think it's going to be something that's a campaign issue in, uh, if we call it the Western world, um, for the, the, at least whatever the next round of elections are. But do you see this as, as an increasing topic where citizens will start to get engaged and have questions and maybe ask more from their elected officials? Yes and no. Um, I see that is finally, um, you know, after shouting about this and, you know, many other people like uh, Robert Spaulding, a, a former general with the uh, United with the Security Council, um, he has a book that is, I've, I've cross-checked his references to make sure they're not politically motivated. I can't find any bias. He's pretty factual. Um, and he was, he named things that I'd already known. I'm sure he knew them long before me, but the point is, uh, yeah, people are talking about it more, but talk is cheap. And what I am seeing is that it's become, it's become a polarized issue. Like, you know, early on, if you said anything bad about CCP China, and, and I, I emphasize CCP China, because the people in China who are not in the party, they have it the worst by far, you know, they're, they're living on edge all the time. Uh, they have no choice and we have no idea what their level of support is, but that's another topic. Um, but I, I see when it comes up as a campaign issue, it gets turned into, oh, you're a Trump supporter. You're asking that because you just, you just want to vote for Trump. You, you don't like Democrats. And it's like, no, it's like, no, I want these people who signed treaties and made agreements and want to be part of the world community, them being the CCP, China, which hopefully will just be China again someday, um, to, to, you know, at a minimum, abide by the agreements they have signed into. And for us to enforce the laws that we're not enforcing that allow them to operate. Um, so that's, but I don't see it. Like, I don't see the momentum of it becoming a campaign issue because what I've seen is if anyone brings up China and Trump or China and Biden, then someone throws in a whole nother issue and derails the conversation. And by the way, this is a classic propaganda technique. I'm not saying it's propaganda, it's human nature. But, you know, I worked in a similar field like that as well. And um, disruption of a conversation is very, very typical. It's standard training and it's, it's 101 training too. So it's to see that happening. It's like, Hey, um, you know, we really need to talk about China because they have way too much control over the free world through their, you know, um, supply chain and, and, and worse. And then people say, Oh yeah, it's like the new iPhone, but I bet you have one and I don't engage. Yeah, and, and Trump just doesn't want people to have iPhones. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that, I don't care about Trump. I don't care about whoever. Just someone please enforce the law like we would with any country. I mean, we didn't hesitate when Iraq invaded Kuwait. We didn't hesitate. We 
it was the whole world descended on that. And of course, there's you know financial interests there too. I'm I'm not a, a Pollyanna, but when people are seeing things far worse, on uh, you know just over the years, and just ignoring them, well, I, I you know I have another saying, you know, bury all the bodies you want, but eventually you're going to have to smell them, and that's what I think is happening now. I think if we go another three to four years on the track we're on you know, this world's going to be a very different place and we won't even be able to have this conversation, in my opinion, at least not openly like this. And we just went through, you know, this is before pandemic times, but, you know, an, an entire, I guess, two months of the impeachment and, you know, so much and so many institutions and intellectuals telling us that Trump was essentially a Russian agent. Uh, you know, you, you there was a whiff of Russia on social media. There's this huge you know, flubbub, everything was in the news. And, you know, you have actual politicians or you have sons of politicians looking at the Biden family who have huge financial stakes in China. They are tied to many nefarious firms. And even the stories, I know you were highlighting this, Brian, of a lot of academics, you know, from Harvard and, and a lot of other elite institutions that were all receiving research grants uh, from the Chinese government so they could, you know, do whatever. And a couple people did eventually get caught that they were taking a lot of that information and knowledge, uh, specifically around a lot of vaccines and uh, specifically viruses, uh, taking that back to China. You know, why is it that everyone was so ready to condemn the idea of the uh, elite being very close to Russia or even a whiff of Trump being influenced by Russia. But when we have all the knowledge that we have about China and the CCP and the influence in the American, not just political scene, but let's talk about media. Let's, let's look at social media. How much of the protest and things over the last two months were probably exacerbated by some Chinese bots? Um, I, say the last part about bots because it, the signal sorry yeah i'm just saying like how much of the everything with the protest you know how much of these uh, over the last few months have been pushed by chinese bots i don't know well the protests are real uh, without a doubt and it's and uh, i'll tell you why and i'm not i'm not even being well here i just to, to protect me from that point obviously they're real but how much you know online stoking and fears and you know fake twitter accounts and things have been set up um that have you know, used a lot of the propaganda techniques. And yeah, there were Russian bots doing the same thing, you know, big Trump rallies or, you know, whatever Clinton rally go here. So there are like bots, they have the same technology that everyone has, right? Um, not to say that the protests weren't real because the gripes are real, everything's real, but there's a lot of power there online and there's a lot of power wielding, it seems, by CCP. Oh, yes. And, and look, there's tons of them. Let me give you an example too. And let me give you, uh, if I may, um, there, there's something that I picked up. I look for patterns, and that's that's what I'm trained to do, and that's what I, I enjoy doing. Um, if you look at the protests, you will see about a week or two before that, out of the blue, all this um, cancel culture nonsense about Jimmy Fallon, and he did blackface, and that's bad. You don't do that, but. I'm reading it going, oh my God, what was he thinking? And then I dug a little, and it's on Twitter. And then I dug a little deeper and he, this was 2000, where the, this has been discussed. This has been apologized for. This has been, um, he's been supported by the African-American actors he did that skit with. And, and again, doesn't make it right. But the point is, 
it's been just, and I was like, 2000, I mean, really what's going on here? And so when I looked into it, there's a, I'll, I could send some links, but there's a way to do advanced searches on Twitter to find the beginning of the hashtag, which is very easy. And I realized there were all these, I don't, I, I think they're more trolls than bots where they were out of the blue going, you know, F Jimmy Fallon, jerk, jerk. I'm looking and it looks like a member, you know, could resemble, he could have been a member of K-pop. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then this other girl who has a Hello Kitty um, uh, avatar is saying, they gotta, they, they, they have to leave us, us uh, people of, of, of other ethnicities alone. You know, they don't like what, it, they don't know what it's like to grow up African-American. And I'm thinking, well, neither do you. And I saw this like little core group of people just stoking, stoking, stoking. And then I saw it again with several other celebrities where they said, oh, you know, this person, or they did it with Joe Rogan. Oh, he said this, you know. Well, what I realized is that was a litmus test. They wanted to test the reaction of social media prior to dropping the big, for lack of a better term, social media bomb, which was really amplifying you know, the things that are not even about Black Lives Matter, but to make it um, you, you know, really spread like wildfire. And I'll, I'm in the process of writing a, a piece on this where you could actually see the probing. And these are tests, these are tests. And then it hits. So anytime I see that now, and I've got three examples of this, anytime I see that now, like, okay, you know, Mr. Peanut said something bad about, you know, um, Brian O'Shea and PIs. And then the next thing you know, there's going to be some big thing about private security. They're testing it. And the other thing I noticed as well is they kind of screwed up on one of them. I can't pronounce his name. I've never been good at it. So apologies to one of my favorite actors, but John Crud, the guy from The Office. Krasinski. Krasinski, uh, yeah. They tried it on him because he plays Jack Ryan in, um, you know, Jack Ryan in this as a CIA uh, intelligence analyst, not operative. And even like, that's when people went, what, time out. He's awesome. He's the nicest guy in the world because they're like, cancel him, cancel him. People are like, whoa, 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 wait, what, what, what? Like, I think that's when people, you know, the netizens started saying, well, there's something, something's a little off here. And since that happened, they haven't been as successful as, in, in these probes that they do. Uh, and by probes, I do mean the CCP. There is a PLA unit that does this. These are soldiers doing this. And that's what a lot of people, these aren't, these aren't like overzealous Chinese expatriates. Th this is a unit in, in the hmm. PLA. Um, I also want to point out one thing, uh, you, we were mentioning business. I, I think, and this is why I want people to always research, I don't think a lot of people realize they're saying, I had an argument with the young man. He's like, oh, they have a free economy. I'm like, no, they don't. He's like, well, it's not like the USSR where the government tells them what to do. And I said, by law, they have to have so many members of the CCP, not only on their board, every company in China, every company, they have to provide them an office on the premises. And a lot of people don't realize that. So you've got these people wielding all this enormous power right down the street, right down the hallway. And you want to do something socially responsible and they just walk by and, you know, tap the little club on the window. You're going to be like, nah, that's a bad idea. 
we're good. <laughs> you know, and it's, so to say it's not controlled is just, I mean, it's just, you, you'd have to be a moron to think it's not controlled. If you have the thugs down the hallway who will really destroy your life if you go in any other way and will make sure your company ceases to exist and possibly yourself. So I just wanted to point that out. Every company in China has, has to have bylaw CCP members on their board. Um, and I lost my track here, but uh, we were no, talking internet. It's, yeah, yeah, and, and what's interesting, so you mentioned some of the things that go on Twitter. I'm starting to see it now where certain narratives are being weaponized by people as high up as ambassadors on Twitter, which I always find ironic because your average uh, Chinese citizen can't use Twitter, but their ambassadors to all of these countries have verified Twitter accounts and engage with, uh, engage with policymakers on Twitter, where criticism of, and, and this is why Yael and I both do exactly what you do, is differentiate between the Chinese Communist Party and Chinese people, because it's certainly not your ordinary Chinese uh, citizens' fault that their unelected communist government is atrocious and committing all of these human rights violations. Um, but you see them weaponize the claims of racism where criticisms of the Communist Party will be then there's a, there's a, uh, a pivot where they're using the language of social justice, which in many instances is valid and, and carries a lot of weight, but, but then saying that criticism of, of China as a Chinese, the Chinese government is racist criticism of Chinese people, um, which it certainly isn't. And the more we see that, the more it gets used to try and shut criticism down. And, and that was the beginning of the of, pandemic. Sorry, David. That was the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. You know, everyone said, oh, uh, you know, everyone's blaming China. Nancy Pelosi was hanging out in Chinatown. De Blasio saying, everybody come to Chinatown. Everybody, let's party. Let's have a good time. It's like, good God. Well, ironically, most of the people in Chinatown, no matter where they came from, they're Americans. And who doesn't love Chinatown? Absolutely. And, but you're right in, in trying to not you know, that just makes it worse, I think, for, you know, the good people that escaped that horrible regime and came here, that, that, that just makes it worse, I think, for them to be singled out, even though people may or may not have good intentions. It, you know, they're already a part of their community. Their neighbors know who they are, and they, they're, they're, they're not going to have an issue if you don't politicize it. Um, but yeah, the racist thing is a big thing, being called a racist which I find ironic that they, the first people to get quarantined in China were, were people from Africa, people of dark skin. They were not allowed out and then they'd be arrested. And there's gobs of video um, that I can share, shot from friends of mine um, who live in, in, in China and Hong Kong. And so don't even ask me how they got it out. But, um, the thing is, yeah, they're, they are without a doubt, and I'll say it, the biggest racist in the world. Like, they don't care. Like, if you are not part, it's not even racism. It's like, I don't know if there's such a thing called, like, partyism. Because unless you're towing the party line, you don't matter. And you are open for attack. The worst kind of draconian attack at every level. And so for them to call, or anyone to say, you know, look, to call the Chinese people racist, that's just a dumb thing to say. Unless you know every single Chinese person in the world, you can't really make that statement. 
But to say that the policies of the CCP regime are racist, absolutely. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, yeah, a very, very important distinction. Um, mm-hmm. I, always go, I always go back to the Bill Maher skit when he was talking about this, and he's like, guys, Americans are smart enough to understand that criticism of the Communist Party or things that go on in China led by their government is one thing, and Chinese Americans are another and people are smart enough to know the difference and to make the distinction that you just made it's 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 perfectly legitimate to say uh yeah these concentration camps are horrible and driven by all sorts of nasty forms of of bigotry while at the same time acknowledging that that doesn't mean that chinese people as a group are racist or anything like that Uh, but yeah so in kind of wrapping up um what are you working on lately? Where can, where can our listeners learn more about what you're up to? Um, where can they follow you on social media and things like that? Uh, well, currently I'm in the middle of a case I've been on for a number of years. Um, I won't say the client, but it's uh, helping. Um, well, they hired me to, I'm, I'm pretty much helping defend a native American company from a variety of attacks uh, from you know different bureaucracies, but also competitors. And I went in initially to do a you know just do a sweep of their office to make sure they weren't being listened to. And I we talked, and I said I, I think we have bigger problems here. And, and they of course knew that, which is why they reached all the way out to Washington D.C. area to find me. What a case! I mean, what a case! If I can't talk about the case, but if you want to read a good book, which seems just like my case, it's called *Killers of the Flower Moon*, and I think they're doing a movie about it. But that happened in Osage, Kansas, to the Osage Indians long ago when they got oil rich, and all these people started coming in to to get it. Uh, I'm dealing with the same thing right now, and it's without a doubt the the best case, and um, I, I just feel like this is the most important case I've worked on, um, along with what, what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, with CCP China, which they, I, amazingly, there's, there's ties to everything at this, at these level of cases. It's bizarre, but there are actually ties. Um, I don't want to say those ties are fireworks that get imported into Seattle ports. I wouldn't say something like that, but there are big ties. And the point is, uh, it's, this job is great because I get to use everything uh, from the tactical going out in the field, you know, uh, hiding with the camera to doing competitive intelligence for the good. If there is such a thing where I'm, I'm using those tactics to find out what they're up to. So I can provide my client with an early warning. Um, so with my CEO's real concern is the people of that she employs and she's the biggest employer on her reservation. And if that company goes away, have a feeling that that reservation might go away. So there's big, big stakes here. And so um, that's, that's my favorite thing I'm working on now along with this, but you know, this, this is a different type of animal that we're talking about now, but not as different as you think. Um, And then I'm also really, really working hard with as many people as I can, and they just have to reach out to me trying to teach them basic techniques, because if I can crowdsource out, not for my, paid cases, but for things of public interest, like what's going on with coronavirus in China. I've been really, really um, 
there, and I've talked to a lot of people, I've got a, a little good, good little group of people, mainly from Australia, who are learning, like, hey, you know what, if you take a tile app, and you throw it, you know, you could find out where those trucks are going. Um, if you do this, advanced Google operators, you can find this, this, and this. And then I will, I will post what I find, and I'll post how I found it after I secure it, because I know someone else is going to probably go and remove it but trying to teach people like, hey, you have more power than you think. Just because you don't have my training, just because you're not part of the government or politics, you have a computer, you have an internet connection, okay? You have so much power. If you just want to take the time to hone that into specific skill sets to really cut through the BS, get to the heart of the matter, and then take the time to read everything. And like I say, my hashtag that I love is investigate everything. And you have to investigate everything. Where do you start? You know, if your cable company overcharges you, dig in, find out everything about that cable company you can, especially if you have nothing else to do, because guess what? You're gonna uncover all sorts of stuff. And that's a great way to practice. Start locally, investigate globally. Wow, they're powerful. Uh, a lot of stuff to, to go through. I'm, I'm glad we, we spoke for about an hour, Brian. That was great. Uh, Brian yeah. O'Shea is the CEO and senior investigator at Stryker Pierce. You can find their website, strikerpierce.com. Brian on Twitter, Brian O'Shea SPI. Brian, thanks so much for giving us so much of your time. I'd love to come back. We have a lot to talk about, but thank you for having me. Very good. You are now minted a friend of the show. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Brian. We're back on Consumer Choice Radio. That was a great interview with Brian O'Shea, one of uh, one of our longest uh, interviews yet. Um, so, uh, not too much time to discuss other uh, other topics, but yeah, great interview. Definitely a friend of the show, and we will have him back. I mean, there's so much um, just in terms of tactics, just in terms of the stories. And and Brian's right. There's just so much research that people are able to do now that they don't. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't get into this too much, but, you know, that's where a lot of traditional media has kind of failed us. That there's a mm -hmm. lot of this stuff that happens that's out there, and many people are not connecting the dots. Many people are not aware. And, yeah, people are, are very willing to come out and talk about the bad impact of police brutality or who they're going to vote for. But, you know, when it comes to these larger issues, we don't really hear about it much. So it was good to have Brian on, give some perspective, uh, definitely a unique perspective on a lot of this stuff and uh, really just yep. a gem. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly some, uh, some, some, some interesting views there. Um, we do have uh, some updates uh, for next week's show. I will be riding solo. It's vacation uh, time. Ladies and gentlemen, the, David's taking the, the mic. Yeah. I'm going to ride solo on this one. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. Very excited. Probably going to get some guests on uh, to interview and chat with. Um, yeah, well, where are you going, Yael? Where, where are you? Uh, where are you slacking off to next? Uh, no slacking off, but uh, I'll get. I'll I'll try to send some tweets and some updates from Venice, Italy, and uh, oh, beautiful. Hopefully, you guys don't get too jealous. But yeah, we have pleasure. David will be alone on the mic, but uh, you can always tune in to us on Consumer Choice Radio every Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and our podcast, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. 
And as always, be sure to subscribe and like uh, the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you again for tuning in. It's always a pleasure. We'll catch you soon. Bye-bye.